This podcast contains mentions of queerphobia, ableism, fascism, um, some suicidality. It's a, it's they're all very, very brief mentions, but just so you know, here's a little heads up. Hi there, everyone. Welcome. Thank you again for tuning in. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. You are listening to a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. This is Queer Sounds. Um, this episode in particular it feels kind of like a throwback to the good old days. Um, like back to like three years ago when I just started out with this project. Because, um, you know, if, to make it a little bit easier for myself, like trying to develop the concept, trying to come up with like a good way to run the show, I just invited along some lovely friends of mine. Friends like Lou, friends like Walter, friends like, you know, scroll back into your podcast feed and find out. And um, today... And just like in the good old days, I'm having a close personal friend of mine on the pod. Hi, Isa. How are you doing? Hello, Hannah. So happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, just so the people know, what are your pronouns? Uh, she, her for now. That's always a tricky question. Yeah, dep- depends on the mood, depends on the moment. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of weird having you on so far down the line. We've talked about the possibility of, of getting you on the show. It just kind of never happened. Uh, how, how is this for you? Uh, well, I've been feeling nervous about it, actually, because I feel like it's a responsibility to be on your podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that you do so well. You've been doing it for years now. And now it's my turn. And I'm just excited and nervous at the same time. So we'll see how it goes. Do you have any idea why this never happened before? Because I genuinely don't know. I also don't know because we talked about it like from the beginning when you were starting. Uh, but then I don't I don't know. I moved out of the Netherlands, then the pandemic uh, hit. So things like God, uh, life got in the way, I guess. Yeah, so I suppose. But yeah, no, I've, uh, it's also kind of like born out of necessity. Um, well, not really, because it makes it sound like I don't enjoy having you on, but like, <laughs> I've been trying so hard to get people from Spanish speaking countries on the show. Mm. Like I've been messaging people from Spain, from Cuba, from, uh, from, from Argentina, from, from Mexico. And like, there is a language barrier here, right? If I'm going to Google stuff in English, Spanish language results won't come up. And, you know, at some point I'm just thinking, okay, you know what? Why am I making this harder on myself than it needs to be? I've got a wonderful Spanish-speaking friend, like a, 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 a WhatsApp message away from me. So let's just get her on and, 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 and see what happens because like we can vibe. We can vibe. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, but I think it'll be easier than you think. So we'll just see how it goes. Oh, easy. Easy, absolutely. Let's just dive right in because, you know, it might not, it, it took a while, but you definitely belong on this podcast. First track of the day, Pat Benatar, we belong. Many times I tried to tell you, many times I cried alone. Boys, I'm 
Childhood memory for today, Ped Benatar, We Belong, off of the Tropico album in 1984. Uh, why did you Why did you select this track for um, for today's show, Isa? Uh, well, this track, um, I think it's like the first memory I have of a song really getting to me. Uh, like I remember being in the car with uh, my mom, and my mom and my siblings. And this song uh, coming up and just like really feeling it all over my skin, uh, feeling it vibe. And I think it's the first song that really did that to me. Uh, I didn't even understand what the song was saying or anything. Like I was so young, but for some reason, uh, this one did it. Uh, I remember like just because of the the beat or whatever just imagining animals and nature and stuff like that so i don't know this song uh really brings me back to those times do you look back on it fondly yes 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 because i was i was too small to to have the world figure out just yet uh so i remember like for example my uncles i have several uncles and I remember one of them making like uh, CDs of rock songs and 80s songs and 1990s songs for us. And we would just listen to them in the car uh, when we were uh, going to the beach or something like that. So I really look back on it as a fond memory. Uh, also because I was just like hanging out with my sister and my brother and that's something that I always love. Uh, but I remember that uh, I was try- I always tried to sing, even though I didn't understand the lyrics or anything. And I remember my sister being all the time like, oh, Isabel, stop singing. Come on, just let me listen to the song. But I was just, I would just rude. like, yeah, yeah, pretty rude. Now she's singing the whole time, <laughs> like throughout the house, singing even opera. She doesn't know how to do it, but she still does it. And I never say anything. I'm like, I should give her... Uh, a taste of what she did. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> did you keep on listening to Pat Benatar after that point, or is it just something that um, you associate with that time of you being like a little child and and move on from there? It's it's not that I haven't listened to her because I do, but just um, something that I do is that I don't uh, normally I don't listen to the whole. Uh, I don't know, work of one artist. Like, I like one song from one artist, I listen to it. I like another song from another artist, I listen to it. I don't know. So I don't know her full discography, but I really enjoy this song, and it does bring me back. 
All right. Um, but where did you where did you go from there then? Like where how did your taste in music develop over time? Uh, well, my taste in music was really influenced by my family up until I was like 12 or something. So until that moment, I listened to a lot of uh, rock, like Spanish rock and rock from the United States as well, uh, because of my uncles and my mom and my dad as well. Uh, so, for example, my dad and my mom uh, listened to more like music from the 70s from Spain, like from the Movida Madrileña. That was a movement that started in Madrid after like after the dictatorship or and while it was ending because it was like a moment of freedom and everyone could just like uh, like explore a little bit more. Then, well, now, after some years, I've realized that all those people that were singing and, I don't know, developing music, they were the kids of, like, really powerful people that survived the dictatorship, so their values are kind of, like, sketchy. But still, I enjoyed that music when I was a kid. And then, uh, when I was, like, 12, uh, I went to I went to a boarding school for a year, so then my music taste, like, or the music that I listened to uh, was, like, more in tune with my age, I'd say. Like, uh, I had friends... Right, yeah, especially around 12, that's when you, like, really start to get into, like, whatever your friends are listening to. You really start to develop a sense of music in that sense, in that way. Yeah, but... But it has it has continued to change because during that time, like in at the boarding school, I would listen to I don't know like whatever was playing on the radio, like Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and Rihanna and stuff, and I still like those things, but I don't listen to to it like on a daily basis anymore. And now, like uh, now, for example, I think well, first like when I was uh, fifteen or sixteen. Uh, I was in my rebellious phase, so I just like I rejected anything that was uh, mainstream at all. Like for example, reggaeton that is so popular in Spain and Latin America, I rejected it completely, and now I love it. For example, or rap, I also rejected it. Now I love it. Or I don't know, cumbia or uh, flamenco, also rejected it. Like. But now I, I love it and I've learned to appreciate every music genre uh, pretty much, I think. What has changed? What made you, Is that just something you grew into over time? Did you deliberately just kind of grew out of that rebellious phase? Or did you at some point actively decide to um, learn to appreciate like music in Spanish more? Uh, I think it just happened organically. Um, I had mm, many years where I was just like on my own for a little bit. So the thing that I did the most was listen to music. I was listening to music all the time because I was going for walks on my own all the time. I was spending a lot of time alone. Uh, so I just started to listen to whatever... Mm, I don't know, whatever I ran into. And at that point, I, I really don't know how it happened. But when I was a teenager, I also had people around me that were like really into heavy metal and rock. 
and their influence was also like, oh no, you can't listen to reggaeton, that's for like, I don't know, now I see that's classism really, because reggaeton, it's, uh, some people imagine it as this kind of like poor people or uneducated people music, but it's just not true, it's just music, you know. Uh, but I had these people around me that were like so pure about the music that they would uh, listen to and that got through me. And then when I was on my own, I could explore a little bit more outside of their perspective and find my own perspective and the things that I like to listen to. And now if you see like my Spotify uh, playlist, the one that I listen to right now, it's I call it my obsession playlist because I just listen to a song that I really like and I look look it up and I put it on that playlist and I obsess about it for like a couple of weeks and it's full of uh, really different things and I really like that actually. You also mentioned in a different conversation we had that music has a very special place for you in your daily life because um, to like get this episode a little bit darker you uh, deal with chronic pain as and you said that music also like helps you like helps you heal in a sense or like helps you forget the 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 physical discomfort could you elaborate on that for a little bit yeah definitely uh i do have chronic pain uh i also have bpd i have ptsd and music has been helpful in so many ways uh whenever i'm like whenever i was in a dark place it wasn't that helpful because I would choose music that would make me even like more sad or that would would relate to me in a way that would hurt me. Uh, But throughout the years, like, I don't know, like for example, going to uh, a live show has gotten more difficult for me because my pain keeps growing. So I love to watch uh, concerts on YouTube or listen to live music, uh, when I'm just on the couch resting, because I do feel like I'm a koala or something, because out of the 24 hours that the day has, I would love to be resting for like 23 and just be out in the world for an hour. So in all those times that I'm resting, music really keeps me company. And I don't know, it it lets me see so many parts of the world and the culture and the human experiences that I would not get to see if I would just to be like alone in my bed uh, doing nothing. And so that's really important to me. Also, like to I think I learned this when I was really young, like I, I love to be able to enjoy music uh, regardless of the language. So when I was young, I could listen to English music without knowing uh, what it meant. And now I can listen to, I don't know, any kind of music and I can vibe with it without knowing every every word, you know, and I really like that. When when I have my uh, my earphones on and I'm playing music, it's just like I get into a different I don't know how to say it. I get into a different zone. Yeah, yeah, different state of mind. Yeah, and even though, you know, the pain is there all the time, like, it's always in the back of my mind. It never goes away. I think that's something that people don't understand about chronic pain. Like, it's there all the time, 24 hours, uh, you know, every day. But I, I do have things that help me make it 
like smaller, like make the space that it takes a little smaller, even if it's for some time. And that really helps. So um, you got your um, your chronic pain uh, later in life. How did you discover this healing power of music? Like we don't need to get into the details of, 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 of your pain itself, but like at some point um, you needed to learn how to cope with it. Uh, when did um, when did um, the role of music increase in that sense? Uh, well, I have like a very distinct memory of uh, when I first started to feel pain. I had been in the hospital for a couple of months and I was just turning 18. And so I didn't have many friends at that time, but I was hanging out with my sister's friends and they came to visit me uh, from time to time. And when it was my birthday, uh, they were all really into music. They were into playing music themselves. So they came over and surprised me. Like they came over with guitars and like music, musical instruments and stuff. And they started like jamming for me in the hospital bedroom. That's so wholesome. Yes, it was amazing. Like I was in so much pain. I couldn't even like stand up uh, on my own. Uh, that was also the first day that I could uh, like go out of the hospital for like 10 minutes to get some fresh air. Also that I could like finally smoke a cigarette because <laughs> I was really craving it, you know. And so them being there and, I don't know, uh, playing music for me, like just improvising, you know, making the lyrics uh, as they went. It was so good. Like it made me feel so good, so loved. And even though like I knew that I wouldn't be able to experience music in the same way, like going to concerts in the same way, I knew that it would be so helpful because it really took my mind off it for quite a while is there a specific song you associate with that memory or a specific artist maybe no it was just like uh they came into the room singing happy birthday in spanish and then they made that song longer they incorporated some like uh improvised uh like uh lyrics and stuff about me about the situation about my life so just like the happy birthday song yeah pretty much <laughs> even though that happy birthday song is like probably it the sucks. worst it's the worst it sucks yeah 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 that's why it's weird that i that i link those things together but they made it so good like it made me so happy it made me feel so loved and it was just like like you said so wholesome how did you how did you move on from there? Did you start listening to music more? Did you start playing music more? Did you learn to did you did you pick up an instrument? What what were your next steps in that process? Mm, I've never played any instrument, although I I've, I've always been like jealous of the people that did do it. Uh but I I like to sing like in the shower. My mom's obsessed with me uh, like taking singing lessons and like becoming a singer cuz I don't know, that's just how my mom is. Uh, but from that time, I remember that I was so much more open uh, with music. I think that was one of the moments where I stopped uh, having like prejudice, prejudices about the, about the music that I was listening to. Like I didn't care anymore about what 
other people thought about me and about the music that I was listening to. So I just dived right into it. And like I said, I spent so much more time alone uh, that I just had to do something and music made me happy. So I started discovering more and more artists, uh, more and more music that made me feel happy and that made me feel stuff in general. And that was... Uh, I don't know, a big part of me being feeling good about myself even though I was in pain and not being able to go out and yeah. Is there a certain like artist or song when you're lying down resting that you keep coming back to? Something that really like encapsulates that warm, cozy feeling that music can offer in, in, in time of need? Uh, for example, uh, Florence and the Machine really does that for me. I love it. Uh, also, yeah, I, I really like it. I've been listening to to her for like 10 years, I think now, because uh, it was my English teacher when I was growing up uh, who uh, showed me their songs. And I was like, immediately in love with them also because of what it represented uh it felt like uh music where i don't know the the person singing was feeling free the music was just like i don't know it, it inspired me so i really like that about florence and the machine and also like some spanish artists like antonio vega for example uh he was also singing during the 70s and 80s. He died a, a while ago and he was um, a songwriter and a singer. I don't know, he wrote so beautifully and with such like pain in his heart, but delivering it so well that it really gets through to me also. I feel like it's about time we go listen to another example of the songs that you like to listen to. In the category Favorite Queer Artist Today is Kimia Dawson, track called The Bear. No, The Beer. Important difference. Beer I had for breakfast was a bottle of Mad Dog And my 2020 vision was 50% off He said punch buggy red and punch me right in my left eye I said don't you mean padiddle and I lit his house on fire He came home on acid, I was holding his shotgun I was dressed like Tina Turner and me on Thunderdome He said dumb shit, I said I won't, I love you, you're my friend I handed him my wig and shot myself in the head Then I stuffed a box of tissues in the hole in my skull I got in my Mazda and I drove to the mall I bought a big Johnson shirt and some silicone tits When I pulled out the tissues, they were covered with shit And the beer I had for breakfast was a box of cheap white wine and the boombox on my shoulder was like a box of clementines I ate every single one without noticing the mold You just said you're gross, my darling I said no, I'm rock and roll Even though I'd never I would rather find a bear in the forest than a bear um, So let's not make that error again Kimia Dawson, this track is from 2013 um, Of course the artist themselves is known for the role they played in the Juno soundtrack. Uh, is that also how you found out about this artist? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I went to see Juno with my mom uh, when I was so, like 
pretty young. Uh, when it came out, we went to the cinema because I had to get like some medical testing done and I couldn't go back to school. So we just decided, all right, we'll go to the cinema. And we watched Juno. And for some reason that I now understand, like that movie felt pretty queer. Like I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't like put my finger on it, but I really felt like something was different about that movie. I don't know what it was. And the soundtrack really resonated with me. And from that moment on, I started listening to Kimya Dawson so much. It's been with me uh, since that moment. I still listen to, to them right now. And I follow their life. Like, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like the... Um, the values that, that the songs represent, uh, how they live their lives. It's just uh, really nice. Like, for example, anarchism is really represented in the songs. Like, um, opposition to police is really represented. Also, addictions, uh, mental health. Um, there's, like, a bit of a song that has been with me for so long that it's, like... Um, and if you want to burn yourself, uh, remember that I love you. And if you want to cut yourself, remember that I love you. And if you want to kill yourself, remember that I love you. And I just listen to it and I'm always emotional because it's like, yeah, Kimya, I fucking remember that you love me. <laughs> what about this track uh, in particular made you choose it for today's show? Mm, I think it's just like, a really emotional track. I think maybe not everyone will be able to relate to it, uh, but the people that do will relate to it so much because it really, really explains the relationship with addiction and alcoholism and substance abuse and mental health so well. It's chaotic and also it's like, so, I don't know, it feels safe also, like you're okay, like there's more people going through uh, what maybe you've been through, I really love that about Kimya, like uh, you can relate to what the song is mm, trying to trying to say, like there's also many references to pop culture and stuff like that, so you can really, I don't know, yeah, relate to it. I love it so much. Uh, this is like the latest song that I've discovered uh, from Kimya Dawson. And it's also been in my obsession playlist for a while now. And I just love it. I love it so much. Earlier uh, in this episode, you mentioned the, uh, there's a little bit of an, in an uncertainty surrounding what pronouns to use. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, so, for example, um, well, my my gender expression, my gender, um, how I feel about my gender, it's, it's always changing. Uh, I don't know what it depends on, but it's always changing. Although, uh, when I'm with, like, English-speaking people, it's easier for me to be like, hey, uh, can you call me they? Uh, I go by they, them, blah, blah, blah. But now I've been living in Spain for a couple of years now. And here the situation with pronouns is so much 
more difficult uh, because we don't have a gender neutral pronoun uh, there is like ella for her el for him and we like mm, i don't know non-binary people trans people have been trying to get ella as they as a, a gender neutral pronoun but whenever i try to bring it up around my family or like some of my old friends i would just uh, get laughs all the time and so much pushback that it's just easier to because um, i also think that my pronouns don't have to represent my my gender all the time like um, it's it's nice that they do it's good that uh for some people it does uh but for me my pronouns are not uh something so important maybe it's also that i just don't want to be exposed to any kind of violence in that mm, sense because uh, I'm living with my family right now, I'm back home, and whenever uh, someone on TV mentions gender-neutral pronouns, uh, I don't know, the, the vibe changes, and like, my sister and my brother are really supportive, uh, but the rest of my family is not so much, like, they can deal with me being bisexual, but they are not <laughs> in the place, like, where they can understand also my gender. So I just choose to, I do think I choose to like live my gender in my own way without having to involve my family because it would be too much work. I do feel like, you know, you um, on one hand, you already have to deal with ableism and you don't want to deal with like the additional queer phobia. Yeah. Is that something you think about a lot? Yes, 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 definitely, definitely. Like, also, ableism, like, everywhere. In my house, for example, for a while, uh, well, I, like, I use a mobility aid, I use a cane uh, to get around. And for some time, like, doctors uh, would tell my mom that she shouldn't let me use my cane because that was giving up. Uh, even though, for me, it meant, like, not crying on the street and... Uh, being able to like ask for uh, help when I need it and people not asking that many questions because they saw a mobility aid with me so they kind of understood better but it's it also makes me a lot more exposed to just like being at the bus stop and random people being like hey what's wrong with you I'm like okay yeah you could ask my name maybe first or how I'm doing or because I don't like to disclose all my medical history to some stranger on the bus stop. So, yeah, ableism is not great. Also, in, like, social justice spaces or, like, activism spaces, because I don't like, like to use those words, but that's what they are. So many times I'm the only disabled person in the room, and at times people are like, okay, what can we do to be more accessible? And then I explain because I do want them to be more accessible. And they are all like, oh, yeah, yeah, go, good ideas. Thank you so much. And then the, they never do anything. And also like queer phobia in those same spaces. I, rem I remember uh, when I came out uh, to like my neighborhood uh, collective, and there were people that were like aggressively asking questions about why 
my gender didn't match my what they what they thought my gender should be and why why my pronouns weren't what they were supposed to be and how could I be non-binary if I look like a girl and how could I blah 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 so it's just uh easier to to trust less people with it it's sad to say I I really hate it because I would love to be open about it but I know the people that I can trust and it's not everyone. So, um, like just to get it out of the way for once and for all, uh, if people ask you again, you can just play them this section of this clip, uh, the, the section of this episode. When people in like activist spaces ask you, what can we do to be more accessible to disabled people? What, what would, what's your go-to answer? Mm, well, it depends because accessibility is tricky. Not everyone needs accessibility in the same way. Uh, so you just have to ask and also like, I mean, make, make your space available for disabled people. Like for example, the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, a lot more things have been going uh remote like for example we have meetings uh on zoom or stuff like that that is so good that is so accessible i love it uh closed captions are good if you do have in-person meetings maybe have them someplace where you don't have to walk up the stairs to get there um i don't know just like try to make the space welcoming for disabled people and when they do get there just ask them what they need because this like the disability community is so big and uh maybe i need i don't know to be able to rest and to not have uh really big meetings and to not not have stairs and then some other people need uh translators or uh, like sign language translators or uh, some people need dim lights or some people need, I don't know, There, there's like a really big spectrum of what um, disabled people need. So just try, try to have that in mind that it's like accessibility is not going to look one way all the time. It's going to keep changing depending on the needs of individual people. But I think... In general, just be like be welcoming, be open to listening. Don't judge, because uh, maybe I'll say like, okay, I need to have a couch in the room where we have our meetings so I can lay down from time to time. And some other people say, yeah, well, I need you to take down your mask a little bit so I can read your lips uh, while you're talking. Maybe stand up, or I don't know. There's many different ways of doing it. I feel like um, right now we're primarily focused on like the practicalities of it all and like really to like the way you can shape a literal space. What about situations in which you're encountered with like microaggressions? Is that, is that, I bet that's also like very difficult to speak up. It is very difficult because normally people don't get it because they haven't lived it. And I don't know, in my neighborhood collective, what we did, for example, was we made like a little 
uh, task group that was only dedicated to aggressions and microaggressions and stuff like that. So whenever something came up, uh, you could just like go talk to them. And even if it was not uh, related to them specifically, they would just uh, help you out and, and come up with a plan uh, to see what we can do. But also, I think like, I also we don't pay attention sometimes to like, uh, I don't know, like mental illness. That's also a disability. So for example, sometimes when you have like three meetings in one week, or we, when you have like four different work work tasks or stuff like that, that's also really hard to keep up with. And many disabled people kind of do that because for many people being disabled is like a full-time job and it takes up so much energy. Uh, so I don't know, if, if you have a big collective, just like maybe designate a couple of people uh, to be there if anybody needs help. If not, maybe uh, just find a way uh, so people can send anonymous messages or stuff like that. That would also be nice. Uh, center, center disabled people in decision-making and problem-solving also uh, because maybe the way uh, that an able person thinks that a problem is solved is not the same way that a disabled person thinks a problem is solved. It's just centering us in the spaces and the discussions and in every step of the, of the decision-making and problem-solving. Yeah, and there again also counts what you said before, how, you know, not every person has the exact same needs, um, depending on the situation. I um, I keep thinking about a, a certain um, scenario, like as I, I, I remember a specific day where we went to a protest together, like with a bunch of other people. And uh, at the end of the protest, we were like going to a bar, catch our breath, grab a drink. And you decided to, you know, just go home, catch your breath because the day has already been intense enough. Like, what would be the etiquette there? Because, you know, on one hand, you would like to be like invited and like hang out with your friends and like, please come on, tag along. I know you're tired, but it will be fun. Maybe it will make you feel better. But on the other hand, you also like want to respect someone else's boundaries like hey this day has been intense enough i just want to go home i don't care if you're all going for a drink like what 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 would be the right thing to do uh that's hard because it also depends on the day yeah uh, depends on the mood exactly yeah but uh sometimes if i know like i said uh for me specifically what helps is laying down in a comfortable place and be able to rest for a little bit and I cannot do that in like every place that we go to have a drink you know so uh, maybe if you know a bar or if you know a place where we can hang out and also be comfortable and I can lay down that would be nice but if not like I I don't mind going home like I take care of myself, I respect my limits, and sometimes I just cannot take it anymore. So what I appreciate is people checking in on me, and also not, I also hope that people don't stop, don't stop inviting me 
just because they see that I'm in pain after doing uh, an activity or something. Because, for example, protests uh, really, really, really take up a lot of energy, not just being there, but like mentally preparing to be there. If it's going to be a violent protest, I have to even take to take even more time to prepare um, to get myself ready, also to get like protection so I don't get hurt because I want to be there. Uh, but also uh, there are many ways to contribute to change. There are many ways to contribute to la lucha, we say, to the fight. So just don't forget that being there in person is not the only way. Because sometimes, for example, when I cannot go to a protest, I'll be my friend's emergency contact. And I would uh, check on them after the protest to see if they got home safe. If they didn't, I'll make calls to uh, their family or their close friends or whatever. I'll see in what uh, police station they are. So there are many ways to contribute. But I think just respecting uh, if the person wants to leave, just respect it. Also, like, if you want to include them even more, just, like, make sure you find a place where the seats are comfortable or uh, maybe go to, like, uh, somebody's house uh, where they can just rest and be more comfortable, stuff like that. If people keep on bothering you after a specific protest or any other situation, you're not feeling it, you're tired, but they keep on saying, come on, Isa, join us, it'll be fun. Is that considered a microaggression? I would say yes, because uh, it will have two outcomes. Either I go home and I feel so guilty because I, I feel like I'm letting my friends down because they want me to be there, uh, but I can't be there. And then I spiral a little bit like, oh my God, they're... Uh, not gonna like be by my side because I cannot keep up with their uh, pace. I cannot be there when they are having fun. Blah blah blah. Or uh, other thing that the, another thing that could happen is that I overextend myself. I don't listen to what my body is telling me, and then I go into a flare up that might last like a week or even more. I, that's what I used to do. You know, at the beginning, because it took some time to accept, like, okay, I'm disabled, like, just accept it, come on. Uh, it took some time, so at the beginning, I was just, like, not listening to myself at all and being, like, being scared that other people would be annoyed with me being disabled and with me being in pain. So I would just, like, be there all the time and then cry on the street all the time and be in pain all the time. And it was just so exhausting that I don't ever want to do that again. So also, if if I see that my friends or the people that I'm with keep pushing me to be there when they when I've clearly stated that I can't, then I'm just gonna have to assume that they don't care about my well-being, you know, because they care more about me being present and um, faking that I'm having fun or like having to mask uh, all the all all the pain that I'm feeling and all the symptoms that I'm having uh, then they care about me being comfortable and resting and being able to like catch my breath 
All right, it's about time that we're going to catch our breath during this conversation here because um, I feel like it's a heavy subject and I'm so happy that you're so open and honest about everything and I really appreciate you being here. Let's take a break. Here's track number three, Las Grecas. Pick this track in the category um, favorite concert experience. Um, mm-hmm. wh- paint paint a picture. This track is from 1974. Um, like you need, you've got some explaining to do. I love this track so much uh, because it's like flamenco rock. So it's a mix, like uh, from the from the intro of the song. Uh, when the electric guitar is playing, you would never guess what it's gonna come next. Uh, so I just love it so much, and this song is present in every uh, flamenco concert that you go to. Like uh, I remember uh, going to the south of Spain on vacation with my family, and we would go to little bars and they would have concerts and people playing in them. And this song always came out, always. I don't know. I remember it being so freeing because I was I was really young. So I didn't, didn't feel embarrassed about dancing or just like uh, making a fool out of myself. So I remember just dancing flamenco with my... Uh, with my friends when we were 11 and our moms being so happy about it and we going up to like the stage and just like having fun there it represents the summer uh, having fun being out at night and everything being warm and I don't know yeah it's it's just I love it so much I love it so much and I keep listening to it now but this song came out in 1974, like you said. That year, Franco died in Spain. Like, the dictator, he died that year. And I think it also represents, like, this kind of, like, freedom that everyone got. And I don't know. Yeah, this song is so good. I love it. And the mixes that they that they have and the attitude that these uh, two sisters that sing it have... I don't know. It makes me feel at home. It makes me remember being with my family. Uh, it makes me remember, like, yeah, just dancing without a care in the world. 
and I love that feeling. Let me recap. You went to a bar and then they were they were playing this track. You didn't actually see these sisters live in concert. No, I never did. But this track is a track that many live artists that do like versions of other songs uh have in their like in their list uh because everyone knows it, everyone dances to it. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually like the the women that that sing this song both are dead now uh one of them died so many years ago when she was so young like 30 something oh dang uh yeah i should have known that you didn't see them live then if i would have done my homework yeah it was very like their life was so fucking tragic tragic uh one of them died really young uh because of like hiv complications the other one died like uh, 20 years later of a heart attack, they both were like under-recognized, uh, underpaid. But everyone, everyone knows this song. Everyone plays this song. Like if you go to a live uh, flamenco concert, they would most definitely play this song because, I don't know, it was also really, really edgy. No, really new. Uh, it was... The mix of rock and flamenco was was like really innovative in that time. They were the first ones to do it, and everyone keeps listening to it right now. Like whenever I have a family reunion and somebody plays music, this song is always on the list. I feel like um, what you said earlier with like the current political situation in Spain, or well, not the current one, but the one in 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 seventy four. Like it it kind of ushers in a new era right because with 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 the death of franco this song being like flamenco thus traditional but also rock modern in 74 so it 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 is kind of representative of ushering spain into a modern era yeah or am i am i am i reading too much into this no 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 definitely definitely also during that time uh the Movida Madrileña started, so this movement where artists were, I don't know, exploring a lot more, being a lot more free, but also like we had a heroin epidemic that was really big uh, and very intense because there was no information. I don't know, it, it was a really messy time where uh, people were just like experiencing what it felt like to push the limits a little bit. Because during the 40 years of dictatorship, 40 years, that's a lot. That's a lot. People were put into re-education camps, concentration camps, people were were killed. So, I don't know, the, the few people that made it on the on the left side of the political spectrum started doing music and it just felt good like for them and for the people that listened to it now i i also realize that the most famous people from that time were aligned with the dictatorship that's why they survived all the all those all those years as artists um but still the music made people feel good they made, made people feel like they were able to imagine something else. 
You uh, you mentioned earlier this conversation that um, when you lie down to catch your breath, like live music in particular also helps you a lot, like live versions of music. Like, do you, um, why, why didn't you select any live tracks for, for this category? And are there some that you might want to shine a little bit of a spotlight on for now? I, I did think about it, I did think about it, but I also wanted uh, this song, like, um, I don't know, to be listened to, to be heard, and yeah, so that's why, but uh, I bet there are live uh, recordings of this song, but the ones that, the live music that I listen to the most is Antonio Vega, the the songwriter that I was telling you before. Um, he was so so well known, so famous. He also died pretty young because of drug use and complications with his health. Uh, so he was a really sad but uh, truthful representation of what the 70s and 80s were in Spain. Uh, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of not knowing what to do, so whenever I listen to him live, it's just like, I, you can feel it, you can feel it in, in his voice, you can feel it in the lyrics that he wrote, but uh, for live versions of Las Grecas, for example, the concerts that they did were amazing, they had uh, this choreography and they they dressed uh, like alike and they they are so fun to look at so fun uh, so if you have the chance check them out because they are like so funny they have so much attitude uh, they were from Madrid uh, but they were uh, Romani uh, I don't know there's like such a mix mix of many things in everything they do and it's so lovely to watch them. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll see if I can find like some some live footage of them and put them in the show notes. Um, before we before we wrap up, we've got one more track to play. It's um, I once again can't read my own handwriting. It's uh, a track by Parquineos. Uh, it's called Me Pican Las Venas. Um, my pronunciation I feel like is on point today, so I'm not even going to doubt it. Um, <laughs> It's good. Why, why did you Why did you select <laughs> this one for today? Okay, so uh, this one I discovered a while ago, a little while ago, and I love it because it's a mixed a mix of hardcore uh, techno with also flamenco and rumba from the seventies, which I I think it's a, an amazing mix. I think they go so well together it's so fun to listen to because like there's this dissonance between the lyrics and i don't know and the the beat and i don't know i just i love it so much i love it so much it's so fun to listen to it i listen to it when i'm in the metro at nine in the morning and it just gives me energy to to get on with my day yeah <laughs> oh yeah i bet and the the artist uh Parquineos, uh, that's just like some guy that started making hardcore just for fun and suddenly he's become pretty famous and uh, the name Parquineos that's uh, like something that we like to do in Spain so when you go to like uh, 
a bar or when you go out dancing and you stay in the parking instead of going inside the club, that's called parkineo. Ah, so the like the the parking in the parkineos is literally the parking lot. Yes, exactly, exactly. So people just uh, like build in these sound systems into their cars. And they take their cars into the parking and just people dance and drink and like hang out with friends in the parking lot. It kind of sounds like um, a little bit of a smoker's experience too. Like in the sense that you go to a club, you go to a bar, you do whatever. But instead of like actually going to the bar, you just end up in like the designated smoking area where you just keep having conversations with strangers for hours and hours on end. Yes, exactly. And it's so fun. It's so fun. All right, let's give uh, you, the dear listener, the opportunity to get lost in um, Parquineos, Me Pican Las Venas. Um, This has been Queer Sounds. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to support this show, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash queer sounds and subscribe uh, to either of the tiers. You can get like uh, some some stickers. You can get access to the Queer Sounds Discord. You can uh, get in on our uh, album of the week, a uh, little fun thing that we've got going on. Uh, you can also support the show by just giving us a follow on all of the social media platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr, at Queer Sounds Pod on all of those things. Uh, yeah, I, I want to thank you all very much for listening again. And Isa, thank you so much for going on, for coming on. This has been a blast. Uh, you're amazing. I love you. Thank you, Hannah. I love you so much. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Here's the last track of the day. Parquineos. Enjoy listening. Goodbye.